So for folks out there, sometimes it's more important to get feedback on your blind spots rather than asking for money before you're sure that this that there's a market out there that'd be willing to 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 believe and buy into your idea. What if you could reclaim hours of free time each week, create legacy building wealth, and devote more energy to your passion projects without giving up on your career as a life-saving MD? Dr. Vikram Raya is a functional cardiologist, high-performance coach, and real estate expert, is here to give you the tools, strategies, and solutions you need to transform your life, unlock your limitless potential, and achieve greatness, all while freeing up your precious time. Welcome to Limitless MD. Let's dive in. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Limitless MD. I'm your host, Vikram Raya. Today, I am Zawade. Uh, who is a board-certified anesthesiologist, interventional pain specialist, and he's a CEO and co-founder of Dr. Doc Lending. Swade, welcome to the show. Vic, it's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. So guys, Dr. Marshall uh, Swade, he is a dynamic entrepreneur. He's a show entrepreneur. Not only does he have a physician background, he has an MBA. He's blown up interventional pain uh, and his clinic and anesthesiology interventional pain. But then he started a completely new venture in finance. And so a lot of gems, a lot of things to unpack. But let's just start with something simple, man. What's your origin story? First, your name is very unique. So I'm assuming you're like me. Maybe we're not from uh, the United States. Maybe the origin story starts uh, overseas. That's right. It is overseas. Um, uh, thank you for that uh, lovely introduction. I, I really appreciate the compliment. I want to be clear, though. I've I've not yet arrived. I don't think I've blown up interventional pain. I think it's uh, it's I'm um, I'm on that path of growing an early stage company in in my pain practice. It's been three years now, so I've got my sea legs under me there. And similarly with Doc to Doc, we're 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 at the stage where we're now on the scaling curve as well. And so to the listeners out there, know that that I'm actively in the journey. And so a lot of what I, I I speak to, I think many of you that are contemplating doing something outside of medicine, this may resonate with you as well. My name is Zwade, as, as Vic said, is a unique and, and different sounding name. And you'll hear an accent on me sometimes. So uh, guilty as charged, Vic. I'm from uh, uh, British Guyana, from Guyana in South America. So I grew up wow. in the Caribbean. Moved to the U.S. Uh, to go to college when um, I was uh, 17 years old. Uh, uh, came uh, to New Jersey first to finish my last year of high school, and then ended up getting a scholarship at Emory uh, in Atlanta. And then, uh, then did a lot of my schooling in Atlanta at Emory. Go Eagles! That's my alma mater. Good job. So I <laughs> go Eagles! Eagles is our is is it's our swim team. It's our basketball <laughs> team. There's no football. So uh, <laughs> I came from one of those schools where you take yeah. pride in academics. Yeah, the joke is, hey, our football team's undefeated. That's exactly correct. <laughs> so, so like Vic, I went to Emory for college. I uh, did an econ degree uh, while I was uh, doing a pre-med course load. I've always had an interest in, in how the world works from an economic perspective. Uh, decided to become a high school math teacher for a year between college and medical school uh, and found that to be a truly transformative year of uh, experiencing the human condition, teaching kids that were um, from impoverished uh, households uh, and seeing kind of what motivated them and, and try to find ways to inspire and persuade them to, to tune into my math lesson plan. After that, was that, was that Teach for America? Or? 
it wasn't. So Teach for America required a two-year commitment. And I okay. knew I only wanted to do a year before I got on, into medical school. And so I just applied for a teaching job, cold term. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. The teacher <laughs> exam. And there was a shortage for male teachers, you know, and 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 uh, I was hired on the spot. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. It was. It, I'll tell you this real quickly. One of the, uh, it was a February of that year I was a teacher. I had a bullet come through my classroom window stray bullet it wasn't it wasn't an intentional shooting inside the class but the neighborhood drug dealer was cleaning his gun i think and the bullet kind of went off the gun went off and oh my god a room full of 10th grade kids doing their 10th grade i think maybe an algebra class and the the girls always sat in the front row because i was a i'm a young teacher young male teacher the girls are in the front and that's that age Uh, okay okay (laughs) and there was a girl that saw the bullet hole on the top of the blackboard and said, uh, Mr. Marshall, that's a 22 caliber bullet. And sure enough, when the cops came and they shut the school down, it was a 22. So it was, it was that kind of school, but we had a lot of fun together, but a lot of scary and um, highly emotional experiences too. Amazing. And uh, this is just the beginning of the story. Keep going. <laughs> so I uh, went to Emory, uh, went back to Emory after teaching to do uh, medical school. And this was now in 2006. Uh, And so I am in school at the time that the Affordable Care Act is being contemplated. And so there's a lot of talk about payer contracts and access to healthcare and the cost of healthcare and how we compare with other nations, developing nations and, and developed nations in terms of our quality metrics. And I got inspired through that kind of educational journey to do an MBA. And so I took uh, time out from med school uh, because it wasn't a formal MD MBA program at Emory at that time. So I took a sabbatical from my medical education and, and applied it and, and did the MBA program. And uh, and that changed the lens through which I saw the world from there on out. It was, it was incredible. Um, I met a lot of interesting people. Uh, I was the physician in the MBA program. So everyone wanted me on their case competition teams. Uh, sure. Everyone knew me. I didn't know everyone, but but it it meant that I had this robust network of folks who made it their duty to kind of introduce me to their world, whether it be accounting, high finance, private equity, entrepreneurship, real estate. So I got a glimpse of all of it and began to kind of put together my own professional persona based upon those interactions. So let me ask you a question. So at that point, did you know you're going to start a company? I know I was going to do something, but the idea for Dr. Doc had not uh, germinated yet. I did not know I was going to do even anesthesia or open a pain clinic later. But I, okay. I, I knew that I had this itch that I needed to get scratched. And it was the itch of business. How it manifested, okay. I didn't quite know where it would fit. But it was you know you're not going to be a, a plain Jane. I mean, no offense to all the physicians, even though we're all physicians here talking here. But you're not going to be a traditional doctor. You're going to do something beyond just being a physician. Sure. Or it would help to enhance how I practice traditional medicine. So even if I were an employee doctor, I was going to understand how the RBU model worked so that I can have agency over my overall value creation within the organization. So again, it was I was not this like goal-directed vision lock on becoming X, Y, or Z. It was more of okay. like this material. I'm curious about this content. It's all in the press today. Why not? 
study so, more of it. And, and, and audience, listeners, uh, you know, Limitless Tribe, the fact that he said curious, that's the key word. When you when you learn different things, when you're when you're going through everything in life, get stay curious. And so what he did, and you never know what, what comes from it. And before I let you sort of talk about your clinic and, and Dr. Doc, I want to ask a quick question. Um, do you think physicians need to get an MBA or do you think it's highly advantageous for them to get an MBA? It depends. Like most uh, charged topics, the answer is it depends. Um, I think that if you are, if you're listening to us right now and you're in medical school, you're early in your career and you are contemplating an MBA because you have an idea, you're thinking about doing something that you know you have a deficit of skills. The MBA could be a good option, but it may be an MPH, it may be a Master's of Health Administration, depending upon what your specific niche is. I think for many physicians who are already established in practice, looking to do more with their, with their careers, an MBA may not be the best option. Uh, it's not cost effective. The opportunity cost for that time out of your, your practice or your career to sit in a classroom and pay $90,000, the, the math doesn't necessarily work out in your favor to catch up on the lost income depending upon what your uh, specialty is. Now, I think that um, the folks that have a very specific skill set they want to learn, MBA is not about teaching a specific skill set. I'll be clear about that. It's about exposure to a network of people that helps you think differently, big picture mm -hmm. organizational leadership. Would I do the accounting for my practice or for Dr. Doc, even though I took accounting courses in MBA? In, Absolutely not. I know how to hire someone to do it. I know how to ask them challenging questions. I know how to measure outcomes and results from the work delivered to me from those professionals. So it's not so much about gaining a skill set where you'll now become your own financial modeler, your own accountant, your own real estate professional, but it gives you it gives you uh, insight into into the underpinnings of those fields, so you know how to assess good, bad high risk, high reward, and then make strategic decisions informed by your learnings in business school, but also informed by the rigor that it takes to become a doctor. Don't underestimate mm. how much ability we have as a peer group in getting through that arduous funnel of medicine. Like the ones of us that make it into medical school and then finish medical school and match into a residency and then finish residency and get into a practice we're the sliver of the folks that have an interest in becoming doctors. And those reps of long night, late nights, the hard yeah, The delayed gratification. That yeah. all leads The pursuit of excellence. Correct. A persona of grit. And we're not afraid of hard work. And that matters a lot. And it's worth its weight in gold in how you approach other things as well. So let's let's take that and and sort of translate that into all right, let's fast forward a little bit. You're in this interventional pain practice. You're in the third year now. At what point when you're building this pain practice did you say, hmm, even though this is exciting, this is great, I'd like to do something a little bit different in a different realm. And I'll obviously I'm alluding to your company. Yeah. So um it wasn't a moment of me thinking I'm bored in my pain practice, I want to do more. It was experiencing a personal pain point that I thought I had the tools to, to solve. So in my case, I had I did my 
my medical school training at Emory in Atlanta, and I did I matched into residency at Harvard in Boston. I was going from Atlanta, a low cost living city, to one of the highest rental markets in the country, and I didn't have the seventeen thousand dollars for my relocation expenses. First, last month's rent broker fee, and I figured this is simple. I'll just borrow the money from the bank, like I borrowed my student loan money to pay for medical school. Except I had two hundred plus thousand of student loan debt. My residency income was 50K a year, and my FICO score was sub 700. And I was shocked to realize that banks viewed me as a high-risk borrower. So they either denied my loan application or they gave me a credit card interest rate. And it felt unfair because I just matched into anesthesia at Harvard. Like, they didn't get the math of where my career was going. So what Doc to Doc did, the inspiration from that experience is what led us to say, look, we've got a network of doctors Many of us start off like I did and then become Henry's, you know, high earners, not rich yet, but also some, some rich guys. And they'll, <laughs> and then, they, and they'll, I like, then, I like the acronym. What is it? Henry, high Henry. earners, not rich yet. That's, <laughs> That's you know? great. I love that. And so we have this network of folks that are high earners and experience the same pain point. What if we got them to give us money to then lend to others like us? early in our career and build a company. That was the operating thesis because we believed that what made us a high-risk borrower to a bank was based on, a, on, on assumptions that don't apply to early career doctors. Because my FICO score is a 640, it doesn't mean that I'm going to go ba- that I'm going to be bankrupt or I'm not going to pay your loan back. It means that I just had to borrow a ton of money to fund my medical education. That's for 95% of us. So now... You're, you're in this, uh, how many years has Dr. Doc been around now? So we founded the company in 2017, issued our first loan in 2008. It's actually been uh, around longer than your pain, pain practice. It has, yes. Wow, okay, okay. Uh, 2017 founded, 2019 first loan, and now 2023. So six years all in all, but uh, maybe four years since you've been really active. Um, tell me about this journey, man. Uh, I know many physicians are like you. They have they see a problem in, in the world and they want to solve it. And sometimes that's why entrepreneurs are there. They solve the world's problems and you know they get prof, profit from it, but they help the world in the in the process. So you you saw the problem, you you thought about this premise. Did your MBA background sort of give you confidence and help you? It did. It did. But I think the first step for me was to stress test the idea with smart people that I know. So uh, after my co-founder and I began to talk about the, the possibilities with this lending company, we then convened a table in the lobby of the hotel where the American Society for Anesthesiologists conference was being hosted that year in Boston. And we started to ask our peers, hey, how many of you borrowed money to relocate from medical school to, to uh, residency? How many of you are actively borrowing money in the markets right now? What if you had an opportunity to invest in a company that would give loans to early career doctors? Would you? What are the blind spots? What are we missing here? And the feedback was overwhelming. Folks had a lot of strong opinions. There were some folks that said, debt is bad. I would never encourage anyone to get to take on debt. And Jim Daly from the White Code Investors, one of those uh, uh, anti-debt proponents. There were others that said, debt is not a great thing for consumption spending to buy stuff. 
But just because of who we are in our career arc and what's happening in our lives while we were in residency, those are the prime years of your life. When you're starting a family, when you're looking to buy a home, when an emergency with your your washing machine flooding your basement is catastrophic because you don't have that, that, that savings fund to cover incidentals. What happens when you need the money, but you can't get it? We should have some humane, thoughtful, uh, fear process that allows us to access capital and not lose our shirts for doing so. And so the feedback was overwhelmingly positive. And they said, look, not only do we like the idea, if you guys started the company, we write a check. And we left wow. and with um, just under $2 million in commitments from folks who we didn't pitch for, for raising money. We pitched and just give us the, the, the feedback and the idea. So for folks out there, sometimes it's more important to get feedback on your blind spots rather than asking for money before you're sure that this that there's a market out there that'd be willing to 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 believe and buy into your idea. I love I love what you just said. It's so so powerful. Um, that was first of all, it's ingenious. I don't know if you guys caught it. He went to a medical conference and he didn't have an official booth because. I've tried getting official booths at these conferences and they don't want people like us, like Viking Capital, Dr. Doc Lending there. They want like, you know, drug reps and device reps and all that. But that being said, yeah, he just parked outside, camped outside and just queried the audience, different people, different things. And just got a the zeitgeist of what, what people are saying, good, bad, ugly. He, he got it all. And and the thing is, because they're so passionate, they had conviction in what they're saying. Obviously, people were like, you know what, if you do it, I'm going to throw my money in. Without asking, they got commitments. Soft, we call it soft commitments in the space. So he got a bunch of soft commitments, which validated his idea and gave him the courage, if I'm right, Zawade, to say, hey, let's do this. Absolutely. It was validating. We felt like we had a, a peer group that would, that would support the business when we launched. Uh, and it gave us kind of like the wind in our sails to push forward with now well, and, and we did this, and I think many, many docs listening can do this as well. Rather than raise our, the first dollar to fund the idea, we self-funded the initial infrastructure. There's nothing more important to future investors to know that you've got skin in the game. And because as doctors, the vast majority of us will earn in the top 10 percentile of American income earners, you can carve out some bit of money to show that you really believe. And so we funded the initial legal expenses for the regulatory part of the company because this is a highly regulated field lending money. We funded the initial uh, a software and the tech component to have a lending platform online. And so Kenton and I use our own coin to get the underpinnings to be able to lend there. So when we said, hey, investors, now it's time to write a check. Their checks were going to loans not to building the company and the overhead part of it. And it made them a lot more free with their cash at that point. Uh, you know, you're mentioning your co-founder. I just want to take a moment here because a co-founder or partner could be the blessing of the world or it could be the bane of your existence. Tell me how you, sounds like you found an amazing uh, right hand. How, how did you find that person? Was it the right move? And do you recommend that for other doctors who are looking to start businesses? It depends on the business and it depends on your personality. Um, I think that in a business like ours, 
that relies so heavily on networks of people, networks to invest, but networks to actually borrow to get the word out. Merging two networks, mine and his, helps to increase your reach more efficiently than if Zwade Marshall himself were to go out and try to get investors and, and, and folks to get some brand awareness. The other part of it is Kenton is an MD MBA. He went to uh, uh, Holy Cross for college and then Dartmouth for medical school and business school. And we met at Harvard. And he we, we, we look completely different, but he had the exact same pain point that I, that I did, which was also validating. Sure, the single parent immigrant kid from Guyana with a funny name and accent may not have $17,000 to borrow to, to, to relocate. But what about Kenton from a nuclear family, not a rich family, but a nuclear family who went to these elite Ivy League schools all of his life? His expense need was not to relocate. It was while in residency as a grown man having three kids and a wife, a five-person household. Mm -hmm. That math did not add up for him. And so he found his pain point to be actually in residency. And my story resonated with him because he felt it deeply himself. And so having the like-minded kind of business background, the shared pain point as the customers that we're trying to outreach, having access to different networks. My network was Emory and Harvard. His was Dartmouth and Harvard. Uh, it, it really made for us to kind of accelerate our success early. So uh, Dr. Doc has been around for at least you know four active years and then 2017 were founded. Tell me about the different stages and the different pain points as you go through the different stages of that of that company growth? Sure. The very first and most difficult stage, I think, is going from nothing to something. It's beyond having an interview with potential investors. It's then putting pen to paper and building the kind of the, the, the corporate governance, the company formation filing, it's, it, it, expecting that it's going to be made in a tax advantageous way to the founders and to the investors as well. It's the legal advice and helping. It's it's all of the business of company formation that, re- that you require good advisors and folks that'll help to kind of hold your hand through that process. You can pay for the help or you can use resources that you have in your network. The next step though, is getting a team around you, team of smart people, people that are smarter than you, who will believe in your idea enough to, to work their hardest to see it executed. So team building becomes a next critical and challenging step and then compensation for that team building. How much equity do you give? How much cash do you have to incentivize those folks? How do you build it, the company, so that they can continue to see uh, promotion and, and, and job elevation and status as the company grows? The third thing is how to attract and understand your customer. There are going to be assumptions that you make when you're in the, in the ideation phase that are going to be proven to be incorrect. So you're constantly testing hypotheses as you build a company and knowing when to pivot, change course, develop a different plan based upon how the market responds to you is going to be of critical importance. That's awesome. That's guys, this is like, this is typical uh, 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 kind of knowledge you get from a venture capitalist or private equity, but it's so amazing to see it in a fellow position. I, I'm like, my my chest is swollen with pride here. I'm like, yes, this is, this is my brother, man. It's, it's beautiful. So. It, it it is not challenging or impossible for a physician to do this. It is just a passion and interest, and it's an acquired skill set. 
you know, whether it's through the MBA route or just getting business training, you know, on the job. There are a lot of clinicians who who run magnificent clinics that are very uh, uh, very profitable. So let's talk to our, our, our people who, who are like you. They have that interventional pain practice or they have an ortho practice or a dermatology practice. What would you say are the top three things that you wish you knew before you started one of these practices that now is really helping you get to the next level? The biggest thing is knowing and understanding how to market myself and market my services. Differentiating your skills from the rest of the marketplace so you stand out, so that you can drive more customers and, and extract more value is something that we don't learn in medical school. And so whether your calling card is, is the fact that you're double board certified or that you train at an elite Ivy, uh, Ivy League school or that you're offering a service or a procedure that no one else within 15 square miles offers, you need to hone in on the three or four most valuable elements of your practice that the folks around you can't claim to be able to do. The second thing is recognizing that by virtue of the fact that you're a physician and the practice owner means that you're going to be the leader of a group of people who are relying upon your leadership to drive success. That does not mean that you need to be the person that makes all the decisions or is the standard bearer for moving things forward. I think that can be limiting in and of itself. So having the agency to hire folks that are going to challenge you, that you can then empower to lead in their domains well so that you can do the things that you were trained to do. You don't want to be a, a physician owner who, who's doing the mundane tasks that you, your time is better spent generating revenue for that business. Hire people to do the jobs that you don't want to do and you, you can't do effectively. So you can practice at the top of your, your, your actual training. The third that thing is awesome. Yeah, go ahead. Being patient. Just be patient with the process. You're going to make mistakes. Things are not going to go well. Every decision point is going to be a, an opportunity for learning. That's awesome, guys. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance to talk about uh, how people can get a hold of you. And then also, I want them to learn about Dr. Doc Lending. I think it is a revolutionary platform. But before I do that, I want to just wrap up some of the amazing uh, thoughts that I've had as we've had this conversation going. First of all, uh, even if you're a Henry guy, it's going to be okay. Uh, what, uh, it stands for uh, high earning, not rich yet uh, acronym. Uh, that's a lot of physicians. And, you know, in Limitless, we help the people who have the high income but low net worth try to convert into the high income, high net worth. But uh, Zawade has shared us so many gems. First, he comes uh, even in high school from another country, British Guyana. You know, he, he, he worked hard, got into medical school. But in medical school, he took a, a bold risk. He decided to teach. Uh, he took another bold risk. He took a sabbatical. And, and it, well, before uh, finishing medical school, he went to MBA, right? And he did these things because he was curious. He has like that, that insatiable curiosity drove a lot of his, his growth. And, and, he, and he was going, he didn't have the whole thing planned out, but he had uh, glimpses of what he wants to do. And then when he saw a problem, instead of just complaining and doing something, he actually decided to do something about it. And he actually created a whole company to solve that not for himself, but for the whole country, for all physicians. And he created Dr. Doc Lending. And when I asked him, hey, what are the stages in creating a company? He talked about, you know, first of all, it's getting it off the ground, pen to paper, it's corporate governance, tax, legal structuring. Then he's talking about team building and compensation. Then he's talking about building and scaling your people, right? And then it's eventually 
testing multiple hypotheses and then pivoting as needed. And then same thing with the clinic. First, learn to market yourself. Learn to market your services. Differentiate yourself. What is your USP, your unique selling proposition, right? And what's your avatar? Who are you going after to serve? And then he talked about like, you know, for him, it was being double board certified, being an Ivy League, you know, uh, maybe a unique service that he was offering. And it's all about having the patience and letting time compound on itself. So amazing, amazing, amazing. How can people first get into your ecosystem, Zawade, and get to learn about Dr. Doc? Vic, thank you for having me. This was fantastic. I enjoyed the time. Uh, it felt easy to, to talk to you like this. Uh, it's Zwade, Z-W-A-D-E, at doc2doclending.com, or you can visit us at doc2doclending.com. Uh, I, I personally respond to that email address, uh, and so you'll, you'll get me uh, directly, and I'm happy to be a resource to your audience. Thank you for the partnership. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what, like, who are the type of people who use Dr. Doc Lending? So it's early career physicians, the ones that are in residency still, all the way through to established doctors who are using our, our, our funds for investment properties and, and, and the like. So there's, there's no typical Dr. Doc borrower. To be eligible, you, you need to at least match into residency and anyone beyond. And funds are used to consolidate high interest debt. A lot of us have high credit card debt right now due to the way interest rates are. And so a lot of our borrowers are getting money from us at a much lower rate than their credit cards, paying off the credit cards, and then having a manageable monthly payment. That's awesome. So uh, from what I remember in our conversations, you got to be a physician essentially, and you have to uh, have a decent FICA score and that's it. And you're qualified. That's correct. If you are still in residency, your FICO score could be as low as 600. If you're an established doctor, as low as 650, uh, and it's physicians and dentists. Guys, you heard it here, man. Four doctors, by doctors. Let's go. Let's rock it. So, Wade, thank you so much. Uh, we'll, keep, we'll have to bring you back on again. And, guys, until next time, be phenomenal. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Limitless MD. If you found value from this episode, I encourage you to share this episode with a friend and let me know by leaving a review. For more information, make sure you check out the links in the show notes below or simply visit vikramraya.com. Until next time, be phenomenal.